stop Ouija. I don't have enough arcane power. Where am I needed? I need fury, not enough hatred. Resupply here! Spawn more overlords. They're taking the point! I can't for me! Yes! Victory! Greetings, friends and fellow gamers. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Not Enough Resources, a bi-weekly gaming podcast hosted on Rogue's Portal. You can follow us on Twitter at N-E-R Podcast. That is N-E-R Podcast. We retweet interesting articles throughout uh, the couple weeks, and it's usually from other sites like Kotaku and Gamasutra, things like that. Some good stuff there. My name is Ryan. I am your host. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan M. Holt. And I am joined, of course, by my illustrious co-host, Dylan. Dylan, how are you doing today? Illustrious. Thank you so much for asking. (laughs) Nice, nice. That's always good to hear. So top of the order, I just have one big question for you, and that's what have you been playing? What's what's now playing for you? Uh, so I have been in deep in my League of Legends grind. Um, I have until November 7th to reclaim my top, top 10% title, uh, that I, or better that I've held for the last four years. Um, and it's, it's been rough, but, uh, yeah, so I've been playing that. I really like the game right now. Um, it's, it's in a really good place. Uh, I don't think we've ever had a time when the 80 carry position has been so diverse in options. There's only like a few champions that are pretty worthless, but you can pretty much pick anything else and, and make it work somehow. Perfect. Perfect. It's good. I, I'm always concerned about games like uh, Overwatch or Heroes of the Storm. What happens when you get to 100 plus heroes? And it sounds like League of Legends has found a good balance with that. Yeah, especially now that uh, they finally nerfed Ardent Sensor, which was just this completely busted item um, that kind of made support. Um, there were two champions that were way better, like S-plus tier, and then there was like four other champions that could use the item efficiently that were like S-tier, and then everything else would lose into Ardent Sensor. They finally put a pretty, like this is the second, second or third round of nerfs on the item, um, the the worlds patch that's is uh, that they're using at worlds it's still busted but it's finally fixed in solo queue so you can have different kinds of supports uh, which is nice. That's interesting that they have like two concurrent metas going on based on you know what patch they're using for worlds and what's being used on servers. Yeah, I'd actually like to touch on that a little bit later in competitive corner if you're cool with it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, We'll we'll get we'll get back to that. That's a good topic. Um, I have been playing so many different things. Um, I'm back into Fallout Shelter. That's taking up my time. Wrapping up season six of Overwatch and doing the Halloween event, Junkenstein's Revenge, which is a lot of fun. But um, the big thing I've been playing a lot of over the past couple days is Assassin's Creed Origins. I'm playing it for review. For Rogue's Portal, the kind folks at Ubisoft were nice enough to get us a copy a little bit early. So I'm about 15 to 20 hours into it right now, and it's it's a return to form, which I'm I'm super excited about. The big thing I like a lot is 
you have this animal companion called Sinew. Uh, it's a eagle that follows you around, and you use it uh, very similar to how you would use the drone in Rainbow Six, where Sinew can fly around an area, point out where all the bad guys are, find loot for you, things like that. So it's it's really fun, kind of like waiting in the bushes, and then uh, scanning like an area planning your assault, and then executing on it. So I'm having a lot of fun with it. <clears throat> I really like that because uh, a, a thing we've talked about in sequels and, and changing technology and things, um, and being that it's uh, a, the prequel of prequels here, um, and adding a technology like the drone sort of thing, um, is it, it works because it's a falcon. and I just That's, that's awesome. I'm, I have high hopes for that game. Yeah, it's it's really cool and like I I really like the idea of having the the eagle there because like all of that bird kind of uh like aesthetic has been embedded into the assassins and to kind of see that recognized in like in official way instead of like what if we just put like a point on the top of a hoodie so it looks like a bird like to to see it incorporated is really really cool. Um there are some changes to combat, which are good and bad. Um, the big thing is you get a bunch of different weapon types. And instead of having, like, you know, your swords and your hidden blades and things like that, you just get two melee weapons and two different bows. And you can switch between them at any time. And as you're playing the game, you're picking up different melee weapons and things like that. So, like, last night I was playing really heavy, like, with a staff with a bow staff, which was pretty cool. And then, you know, today I've been playing a lot with swords and axes. So there's, there's a lot of diverse weaponry there. Um, and that's tacked onto a new leveling system as well. Okay. So you, you mentioned two different kinds of bows. Is it two different air, like arrows, like ice, frost and fire arrows, or is it like they're, they're different bows? Um, so the way it works is there are four different types of bows and you can only have two, two equipped at a time and you can switch between them. So there's like hunter bows that use, um, heavier arrowheads. So they do a lot more damage, but you can only have like four or five shots out of that. And then there are lighter bows that have like longer feathers. So you can shoot farther with them. Um, there are bows that are specifically designed to shoot more than one arrow at once, which kind of gives you like this weird, you know, uh, I want to say I want to say medieval, but like even further back than that, because it's ancient Egypt, uh, like this weird like shotgun effect out of it. It's it's kind of cool how they divide all of these different arrow types up and, you know, you can pick and choose like which bow and arrow you want to use. Yeah, it's very cool. I like that a lot. Um, the but, I mean, that's that's always been. The Assassin's Creed games have literally only ever suffered from combat's the same every time, um, and kind of like how how do you make combat more interesting and weapon weaponization more interesting? Uh, and so it's it's cool to hear them take kind of a different approach. Yeah, and the other big thing is you also have a shield as well. 
So you have a shield, two melee weapons, two ranged weapons, and then, you know, they're called tools, and it's all of the standard Assassin's Creed stuff. So, you know, like smoke bombs, fire bombs, poison daggers, things like that. So it the combat's, like, got a complete overhaul. There's mounted combat uh, because you can ride camels or horses or donkeys and things like that, and it's it's the combat's really really good um unfortunately while the combat is really good the climbing hasn't really received any sort of upgrade which is fine the climbing in the other assassin's creed games works but it hasn't really received the same uh spit polish that combat and like scouting and things like that have so you you still uh, accidentally jump off of things um, like in that, that, there's a fairly famous GIF of trying to jump onto the, this ledge, and you just keep like jumping in circles and not hitting the ledge, and then and then the dude jumps off completely. Um, it's not that bad. Uh, the pathing is definitely better um, than that, but it's just it's it's the it's the same style of climbing like there's there's nothing to help set that apart and i understand that like previous iterations like uh assassin's creed syndicate from a couple of years ago uh that took place in london had like a grappling hook and like that was a little much because at that point it was just your batman and that that wasn't really fun so like i like that they went back to the standard just kind of climb and scale your way up the side of buildings but um it it didn't really receive it's it's not the focus in this game you know the focus is more on the combat and the exploration and less on you know the climbing and things like that okay cool but so far you you sound pretty happy with it which is i think a good sign for for assassin's creed fans it sounds like it's good that they took what a year off uh, between so um, this is developed by Ubisoft in Montreal. Um, they have been working on this title for four years. I believe Assassin's Creed Syndicate was made by a different Ubisoft uh, like division, a different division of Ubisoft. So this is their first game in four years. This is the first Assassin's Creed game in two years. So they did take a year off last year between Syndicate and Origin, which I honestly think is the right move. Um, I don't, I'm not really, you know, a huge fan of annual releases like you would see on sports titles and things like that. Yeah, I, I, I'm totally behind you on that. Um, it, uh, I think it kind of stagnates creativity. Um, you, you don't see as many. Like, you're you're not gonna see another Assassin's Creed one, or uh, Red Dead Redemption, or like a game changer game, unless you you put them out in the first place. Um, and like, and I'm not hard, like in indie developed games are great and I, and I like them um, a lot of the times, but a lot of them have kind of all gone into that uh, pixelated art style or, or their 2d or their their extra simple compared to like if you go back and you look at um when the first assassin's creed came out and, and things like that um where you were getting some some more fully developed games uh 
and then they were like does that does what I'm saying make sense? Yeah, I, I get what you're coming at. Like, um when when the indie revolution kind of started at the advent of like Xbox Live Arcade, there was a, a huge variety in like what kind of game you could get. You know, you could get um you know, like a, a standard like pool game, right? But then you could also get like a top-down uh, asteroids knockoff, like Geometry Wars, or you could, you know, get a side scroller like Sonic, or you could get like a really good co-op experience like the Laura Croft games. Like there, there was a lot more variety of it now than there is now. You know, like everything does kind of have that samey like pixelated look, which like. I get it. Like pixelated games are like kind of quote unquote in vogue right now. But uh, yeah, no, I, I totally get what you're saying. You need to, you need to take a step back and refine ideas instead of just pushing the same thing out over and over again. Absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, the, you don't like Assassin's Creed was was hitting stride with the like MCU aesthetic of two or three a year. If like it wasn't that bad, but it was getting there. Yeah, agreed. Um, so yeah, that's that's where I'm at right now. Uh, I also reviewed a indie game called A Mortician's Tale this past week. Um, my full reviews up on Rogue's Portal. I highly recommend checking that out if you get the chance. Um, it approaches a lot of issues that we don't deal with as people, let alone deal with as gamers. So if you're looking for something to kind of push you as a person, uh, it's a it's a great little indie. Uh, only about 45 to an hour to play through completely. Um, other than that, I want to move on to news. The big thing that happened this week was Nintendo had a Nintendo Direct focused entirely on Animal Crossing um, for mobile devices. It is titled Animal Crossing Pocket Camp, and you get to be like the head camp counselor at a camp where all of your Animal Crossing friends come from. Uh, It'll be very interesting to see how it plays out in the long run, especially considering how successful Fire Emblem and Super Mario Run were. Um, I've actually been playing Pocket Camp uh, for a couple days now because it is available on the Australian iTunes store. So I created an Australian iTunes account, and um, I, I finally get Animal Crossing thanks to this game. I couldn't do it as a full release, but you know, something I check every two to three hours, it, it works really well. Yeah, I, I never was one of the, the the kids that played a lot of Animal Crossing. Um, I mean, I, I had a friend who, who poured hundreds of hours into that game <clears throat> as a kid, um, and like he he got his memory card wiped. He was so upset. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm interested interested to see as um, Nintendo continues to develop mobile games. Uh, they seem to be really good at it, which completely makes sense um, considering they've kind of been at the forefront of, of mobile gaming uh, and I, I mean in the like dictionary version of mobile not in mobile like phones um, but 
but with the Game Boy and stuff. So it's it's exciting to see that. I mean, what this is their this is their third because Pokemon Go is not made by Nintendo. It is made by a completely separate company who just licensed with Nintendo. It's well, yeah, and it's like the Pokemon company is separate. uh, I think technically, so um, and then of course it's Niantic, but. Yep. Yeah. So it's 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 cool because I mean I, I love Fire Emblem Heroes. Um, I haven't booted it up in a long time, but uh, I'll, I'll have to check this out. I'm not gonna not to go go to the same length that you did, but um, I I did. I had there are a couple phone games that, that I got into where you just check every couple of hours. So it's like there's a focus on like furniture building. Is that? Yeah, um, it, it follows the standard Assassin or Assassin's Creed. God, I've been playing too many games. It follows the standard Animal Crossing uh, formula where you're introduced instead of this time to an entire town to a camp and you start making friends with animals. And one animal would say like, man, I really want some oranges. So then you go to the orchard, you pick some oranges, give them some oranges and they give you like steel and wool and wood and things like that. So you can build furniture to make your own space customizable and how you want it. Um, it's, it's very light though. It's, not a direct one-to-one this is animal crossing full experience that you have on like the 3ds or you know the old versions on the gamecube and the wii this is this is more just kind of like the greatest hits you're still catching bugs you're still fishing you're still gathering fruit to make friends with all of these animal creatures and to build like a cool little campground area there's not really any overarching plot if you know you said you haven't touched fire emblem in a while i'm the same way but you know i feel like if i jump back into fire emblem because there's like this huge pvp element into that i would feel like i am not optimized and that would turn me off from the game whereas animal crossing is more you know relaxed let's see oh look there's you know a cute little dog and she wants four butterflies and like it's it's more relaxed and doesn't really have like a linear goal or direction for it maybe maybe yeah i mean i'll I'll give it a go uh it doesn't sound like my my cup of tea but um those are those can be fun um See, and I always, man, I thought Animal Crossing had a, it was different, I guess, but, huh. Yeah, it's it's very non-linear and just kind of like, oh, you're doing, like, tiny little quests to get, you know, a better cushion for your chair. Like, it's it's not, you know... You have to have the best camp in the world because we have to compete in the race with the other camp across the lake. Like, there, there's none of that. Which, I mean, that does sound like a fun little addition, but, like, there, there's none of that present. So just simplified. Um, and, I mean, hopefully hopefully this makes some, some of the Animal Crossing fans happy because I know uh, they, they haven't announced an Animal Crossing for the Switch yet, right? No, they have not. But yeah. speaking of the Switch, the other big piece of news that kind of accidentally happened from what I understand, um, 
the latest firmware update to the Switch updated the OS, and it allows you to plug in USB things for it to be read, and some people have found out that if you plug in the Wii U GameCube controller adapter, you can use GameCube controllers on the Switch. That, I really hope that doesn't go away. I, I mean, mm, I, I have, I have thoughts on it. Um, the, the big thing is obviously everybody goes, oh, GameCube controllers work on the Switch. Smash Brothers. Yay. But on the flip side of that, like, I would really rather them not do smash brothers with a gamecube controller the switch has a perfectly fine controller with it 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 doesn't need a gamecube controller adapter you don't need to be hauling all of this extra hardware with your switch which is portable in nature just to play a game i think i think that's really goofy and silly and dumb um a couple months ago there was a great piece on kotaku about how the smash brothers scene is kind of slowly dying, but not because of the passion of the fans, but because of hardware limitations. Um, you know, GameCube controllers are not being produced anymore. They, they, Nintendo doesn't make them anymore. So there's only a finite number of controllers available, and finding a controller in good workable condition that you can use in tournament play is a huge thing for professional Smash players and, you know, amateur Smash players as well. So to have yet another iteration that'll be held back by 15-year-old hardware now, I think is just absolutely silly. So you like the, the Switch Pro controller? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's fine. I mean, it's, it's just like the um, Wii U Pro controller. It's fine. It's not bad. Yeah. It's... It I, I used to be it changed. the other day, the other day at Best Buy, and I, I, I actually was a fan. Um, I got I got my first uh, hands on Breath of the Wild. I was actually um, teaching my dad how the controller scheme would work. He's an architect, and he's trying to set up uh, VR tours of his models, um, and wants to set up an Xbox controller to do it for him. And I was trying to explain to him that it's going to be just as difficult to maneuver for him with that as with WASD and a mouse. Um, and so he was trying to shoot stuff with, uh, as link and it was really entertaining. Sorry, I know it's kind of a, a weird tangent, but I got my hands on the controller and, and the, and played with the switch a little bit. And I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It's, it's a fine piece of hardware. I've been sneaking away to a GameStop on my lunch breaks to play the super Mario Odyssey demo. And, uh, yeah, it's a fine piece of hardware, and Mario Odyssey's great. Um, I do believe one of our other contributors at Rogue's Portal is reviewing that for us. So I'm super excited to see his thoughts. Nipples. Other than nipples. Um, the other cool thing with Mario Odyssey that's been discovered is you can scan certain Mario and Amiibos to unlock costumes. So if you wanted to, you could play through the entire game as Mario dressed as Waluigi, which is the only way to play that game as far as I'm concerned. I wholeheartedly agree. Waluigi is 
probably my favorite uh, Nintendo character, just because he is like nobody knows anything about him. Um, he could be a really nice guy, but because he exists, um, and or because of the way that he exists, everybody assumes that he's evil. Yep, absolutely. And I mean, like he, his first appearance in a game was in Mario Tennis for the N sixty four. So like he doesn't have you know like expansive backstory and lore and his own thing. You know, like Wario is like obsessed with gold and treasure. You know, like Waluigi doesn't have that development. Um, Maybe he just likes to play tennis and race go karts. The world will never know. I hope. I mean, I like to play tennis and race go-karts. That sounds like a great lifestyle. Okay. So that's it for news. Lots of, lots of Nintendo stuff going on. Um, I do know that there was a lot released this week. Um, specifically on Friday, there was Super Mario Odyssey, Assassin's Creed Origins, and Wolfenstein 2. So if you're gaming, like this is, this is the best time to be a gamer right now is the middle of this fall rush where everything just kind of comes all at once and there's just great games everywhere um i'm definitely looking forward to eventually starting wolfenstein but if you're playing those games like just just you know take a minute to appreciate the art um anyway so back to league of legends in our competitive corner you said you had some thoughts as far as patches that are being played at the competitive level at Worlds and then patches that are on live servers. Why don't you dive into that? So I, I've been frustrated about this for at least two, if not three years. Uh, like this is the third Worlds where um, I, I've kind of questioned this decision where the Worlds patch <coughs> comes out... Um, like two weeks before worlds maybe a little bit more maybe a little bit longer than that um and then uh like the week that world starts a new patch goes live for for players um and then like worlds isn't over uh we still have semis and, and the final are left and we're on i think the second or third patch since the world's patch um and and like I was talking about earlier, like we're we're in in solo queue, then you're gonna see in flex queue, you're gonna see this huge increase in champion options and strategies and things because of the most recent patch comparatively to the last patch and the patch before, which had the broken art and sensor. Um, and I just I don't know why Riot has doesn't want players to watch worlds and like emulate or try and emulate what they're doing. Um, and I understand it would slow things down for like a month, then you would get very little patching, but it it's okay because at the end of Worlds, like November 7th and the end of Worlds are really close to each other. Uh, November 7th is the end of the ranked season for, for normal players like me. Um, and, and then we go into preseason, so we're going to get a massive, massive patch with sweeping changes that changes everything. Um, and instead of uh, just doing one massive patch and then doing all these tiny patches to try and fix it and build the game up for basically how the game is going to be next season. We have this, this 
all these little patches, these balance patches that aren't really going to matter, especially with this huge runes and mastery rework that's going on, that will, like, completely... They'll have to retune all the champions anyway. Um, because it's basically whichever champions can abuse the new mastery, Keystone Mastery is, like, the best. Will be the best for a while. And that's fine. That's normal. That's what preseason is for. I just don't understand why we're trying to balance the current version of the game when people are like, you want people to watch worlds and then you want people to play and you want people to be like, Oh, Hey, that, that pro and worlds use this skin um, on this champion. That's broken on the world's patch, but is now completely gutted. Like Sejuani just got completely gutted. Sejuani's one of the best competitive junglers on the world's patch. <clears throat> um, she has lots of good skins that Riot could be selling. Um, and they're, they're not, um, well, but like, well, like even from a marketing perspective, it would make sense to keep that champion overpowered, uh, try and encourage people to watch your esport to get more revenue from ads and buy the skins for those champions that are overpowered in the world's patch that people are playing it on live because they're overpowered in the world's patch. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally get that. It's, it's a huge marketing thing. Um, and not only that, it's a huge opportunity for uh, Riot as well. And it just seems like they're kind of ignoring it. Um, well, and, and overall player development, too, um, which is the other thing that I kind of wanted to talk about in competitive corner. Yeah, well, and like the one thing I wanted to bring up, like. With as far as having your professional competitive side of things completely different from your uh like general player base side of things like overwatch is doing it like completely differently which is like part of me is okay with it and the other part of me it it drives me nuts so i really don't know on where i stand on that issue as far as, you know, you have the pros play at this, like, fixed level where nothing changes throughout the season, or do you have, you know, this kind of fluid development system where changes go live and you have to deal with those changes no matter what? Like, the big thing in Overwatch right now is, like, Mercy's huge rework. That wasn't part of, you know, group stage finals in the early onset of the overwatch world cup this year like the overwatch world cup was dominated primarily by dive comp like the group stages were where people would pick like winston and anna and diva and a couple different attackers and maybe like a mercy or a lucio if need be and now like dive comp is you know a strategy that people are busting on the regular as far as like standard play is concerned. Like I played a couple matches the other day where uh, our team was like, one of our teammates was like, yeah, just get ready for dive comp. And I was like, dude, we don't need to be doing that. Like there are counters to that. People are aware of those counters because they see pros and how they counter it. And then they emulate that. And exactly. it's, I think it's really, I don't, I, and I mean, like, I understand the need for you want everything to be even and locked 
throughout like an entire competitive season. I totally get that. That makes perfect sense to me. But on the flip side of that, these are not traditional sporting events. You know, they're not, you know, the, if the NFL wanted to change the rules of football in the middle of the season, I don't think that would go over well, but these aren't traditional sports. These, this is esports. It's different, you know? Well, and, and, but the NFL, um, does change the, the game a little bit every season, um, which usually evolves into like a meta change in the NFL. Um, I mean, uh, well, and the, but that the difference was, is is that's between seasons though. It's not yes, like okay, yeah. week two. Oh, you know, we saw we saw this happen in week one and two. So for week three, we're going to change this. Like because it takes place in between seasons, much like how Riot does it, it it creates a baseline for all of your viewers. But I totally get this idea of like if you see a pro do it you want to emulate that and you want to channel that same strategy. And I don't, I don't know where I stand on that. Well, I mean, so like it overwatch is, is, it's going to be a lot harder, I think to decide like, what do they play on? Like the most current patch with um, the crazy mercy thing. Like, let's say, let's say you have like part one of a tournament um, is a week before the Mercy thing comes out, and part two of the tournament is two is a week after. So you have two weeks between these two parts of a tournament for whatever reason. Um, that'd be rare in most cases, but um, like having them play with like the new Mercy thing is going to be a clown fiesta as far as strategy goes. Overwatch can't just say, "Well, there's no Mercy at the second part of the tournament because there's not enough characters for that to be a, an option." So like Riot has Orn came out on the world's patch that's being played. He's a new champion. However, Orn is banned from competitive play at Worlds because he hasn't been out long enough for pro players to experience it. So all the pro players, every time they get into a solo queue game, a ladder game, they just ban Orn because everybody gets a ban. Um to try and make it as close to what they're gonna be experiencing at Worlds as possible. And over like how how does Overwatch deal with that? I mean, because they can't like they there's not enough characters. Um, the idea is that you're trying to to comp like you you'll you'll change you can change comp um, in the middle of a game, which is different. It's uh, Overwatch has change comp and League of Legends has items and rotations. But again, like if you're a mercy player, you pick up the brand new mercy and you play it a bunch. And then you go to watch worlds and, and you can't play mercy. Like there are, you go to watch the world cup and, and there's no mercy because they banned it. Like that'd be frustrating. Like the new Evelyn got reworked. She can't be played at worlds, which I understand. I really like the new Evelyn. No pro player at worlds is going to play it. And that's the best of the best. And so I can't even look at how the pros are playing the new champion in order to try and like figure it out better than what my basic platinum level brain will will work out well and you also like i think it 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 stagnates it stagnates the meta which is ultimately i think like what we're getting at is you're going to stagnate the meta by having these essentially you're you're playing two separate servers you know 
Like, yeah. Well, I mean, in, like I I got into ranked games yesterday, where my supports are playing Janna and Lulu. Well, guess what? Ardent Sensor is not hot garbage, but it's not overpowered. And those champions were repeatedly nerfed. Well, Janna was. I don't think Lulu was, but hit got hit with nerfs because of Ardent Sensor being overpowered. So now they're not as good. And as a player, like you need to adapt to that. You need to read the patch notes. You, you also have, like there are players that aren't going to go read the patch notes or do the research that are going to go into game and just emulate the world's meta, even though it's on a super old patch. Which is great if you're playing against them. Exactly. But but then when you get three of them on your team, so you have a Sejuani, <laughs> like you have. A Sejuani who didn't know Sejuani got gutted in the jungle. You have a Janna who didn't know that that Janna got completely gutted and, and Arden Sensor got nerfed. Um, and then I, I don't know, like those are the two major ones. I would say like that would be a bummer if you got both of those on your team. Yeah, it, I don't know. It's it's going to be very interesting to see how how both League of Legends handles that because you said the next big patch is like huge quality of life sweeping changes big big changes all right all the way around right yeah the preseason patch basically establishes riot's idea of a meta and then the mid-season patch um kind of fixes the major problems with like that idea so this last season season seven our preseason patch basically made the AD carry role worthless. I, I talked about it. Um, I talked about it on in a, in a podcast, um, like back in the spring. But the um, the mid season patch like helped AD carries a lot. It helped tanks out a lot. Um, we the the jungle though was like a super hard, scary carry, like the strongest role in the game for nearly half of the season, at least a quarter of the season, if not half. And is now like a balanced role. Like all the roles feel really balanced, um, and and so we're gonna see a brand new thing that's gonna like redefine everything. Um, we like it, my hope um, is that we see every year. I hope for the same thing. I want jungle tops. I want carry bruiser junglers uh, or carry fighter junglers, um, control mages and assassins mid. Like a healthy balance of the of both. Um, and then uh, you should be able to play like either support supports or playmaking supports, and then a wide variety of AD carries. Like that's the dream, right? That's what you want. Um, usually, what happens is you have like an item change in the preseason, or a um, like the Thunderlords was a new Keystone mastery that came out that literally was better than all of the Keystone Masteries. So the champions that could utilize that the best were were the best champions, and that was meta. And you had five people with Thunderlords against five people with Thunderlords. Now we see, we can see 10 different Keystone Masteries in a game, which is healthy, um, in my opinion, so. Yeah. And it just, hmm, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what Overwatch League looks like, because I feel like once that gets up and running, that is going to be 
kind of like the make or break as far as Overwatch and the future of esports for that title goes. Overwatch um, League will be played weekly, right? From my understanding, yes. And does Overwatch patch monthly? Overwatch doesn't have a uh, like a scheduled patch rotation. They just patch whenever. Um, they take the game down every Tuesday for maintenance. Sometimes there's a patch, sometimes there's not. Um, there are at least five major patches a year, but I'm it's it's not necessarily balanced. Those are the five events that they run. They run a holiday event in the winter, the Halloween event, which is running right now. Uh, they do a summer games event and uh, the Overwatch anniversary event on the year of on the anniversary of Overwatch's release and then Chinese New Year. Um, but those are mostly just like skins and voice lines and things yeah, like that. Yeah, I was going to say those like, are mostly aesthetic patches. Mostly, but I mean, every once in a while there will be a balance update in those patches, but like they, they don't really have like a set schedule as far as we're going to do a balance patch, you know, every four or five weeks. Yeah, I would like to see like... Uh... I think Dota 2 is on like a quarterly balance change. Um, it might be less than that. They might it might be bi-yearly. Um, but I think Overwatch, if they're going to do Overwatch League like as a weekly thing, um, one one patch a month um, comes out on a Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. Uh, the Overwatch League doesn't play on that patch that weekend, but then the weekend after, they that patch is live for competitive. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't think Overwatch should even need a balance patch that often. Um, if it's if the state of the game is good, every time a new hero comes out, which I think should only be maybe bi yearly, then I think you're in better better shape as far as like those will be the bigger patches. I think you do one in mid season and one in kind of the preseason postseason. So there have been four heroes released since the game came out and it's been out about a year and a half. So it's about, I think, I think they're aiming for three heroes a year. I think, but I mean like that, that could be different and who knows like BlizzCon's in two weeks and, um, they could just announce five or six heroes at once. Who knows? You know, you never know with Blizzard, right? Right. I'm, I'm personally hoping for, a single player aspect of Overwatch, uh, maybe like uh, a story mode that's only a couple hours long. Um, one of the writers I follow on Twitter, um, she does like a bunch of licensed work. Like she writes Star Wars and all of this stuff, um, but she also has her own ongoing series. Uh, she just got hired at Blizzard, so I'm hoping that means that Overwatch is getting a real big push for story content because why would you hire a full-time storyteller if you're not going to be doing something with story, you know, like Warcraft and Starcraft and Diablo all kind of like just roll on. Like their stories are told and continued and things like that. Overwatch is really the only one that doesn't really have a story. So I'm hoping that's, that's what I'm hoping for out of, uh, BlizzCon, and of course, you know, more clarification about what Overwatch League will look like. Yeah. Um, have you played, I can't remember what they called, it's a puzzle game, it's a shooter, 
And when you move, time moves at full speed, but when you're not moving, things are frozen. So you can, like, dodge bullets and stuff. Super hot. Super hot's really good. Super hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would love to see, I mean, not, like, that same format where you mess with time, but I think Overwatch could benefit from, like, a puzzle-style, um, portal-ish, like, first-person shooter, like, short mini-campaigns yeah. for the characters. Well, and you could pick, really like, cool. one for each character, and it would kind of be, like, a master class in how to use that character. Exactly, exactly. I think, like, the Soldier 72 uh, mission-y thing. Yeah, Soldier 76. 76. I, I said 72, and in my brain I was like, that's not right. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's what I'm hoping for out of BlizzCon. Um, the other thing that I wanted to bring up that is definitely like competitive corner for sure is it looks like China might not win the Overwatch World Cup at BlizzCon. And it's because of a very stupid reason. Um, the reason they might not win is because four of their players did not get their visas in time. See, man, how? How is that possible? Uh, they're playing in the U.S., right? Yep, they play in Anaheim uh, throughout BlizzCon on Friday and Saturday. So you have three worlds. You have three like major eSport world tournaments in League of Legends for Blizzard to look at to emulate how to do how to take care of all that stuff. Well, and this is also like not the first time Blizzard has run an esports tournament i mean that's true next yeah. next week is like at blizzcon they're having the world championship series finals for starcraft 2 they are having the finale for the overwatch world cup they're doing uh the hearthstone arena and uh hgc which is the uh heroes of the storm circuit is having their finals at blizzcon as well so like they are doing this like a lot they know what they're doing and for some reason like four of their players did not get visas on time for their china team and they have to send subs instead and i don't know why no we don't know why yet okay well so there was a uh article on glixel uh which is rolling stones video game division um about one of the Chinese esports players posted on Reddit with an open letter asking Blizzard for help to push these visas through so their team can play, like their full team and not just their subs. Um, of course, because it's just this one player's perspective, there's been no statement made by Blizzard. There's been no statement made by anybody but one player who cannot go. And... You know, if I don't know, I, I think it's kind of um, kind of crappy because this is supposed to be like the World Cup, you know, like like not not comparing it directly to, you know, actual football World Cup. But this is supposed to be like the penultimate Overwatch, like competitive scene and to not have the best of the best there just kind of feels disingenuous. I mean, yeah, like imagine if imagine if Ronaldo like had a visa issue and couldn't play for Portugal at the World Cup. I would be so happy. Same, cuz Ronaldo's a punk, but it would be 
just awful for the game. Well, and it's it's awful for the game. It's awful for the competition. It's a horrible PR nightmare. Like there's, it's bad. It's just bad across the board. And so this this player is just he put a petition on the Overwatch Reddit, which Blizzard definitely watches. Um, they've posted on there before multiple times. They've quoted specific Reddit posts for patch changes and balance changes and things like that. So like I'm I'm sure somebody at Blizzard saw this over the past couple days and they're working on it, but who knows when that's gonna be. So that's that's all I've got. Do you have anything else you would like to say to our esteemed listeners, Dylan, to close our, out the day? Uh, our esteemed listeners um, should uh, should just continue to be awesome um, and and esteemed. Uh, and I just want to thank them for for listening to our our ranting and raving. Well said. Well said. Well, thank you guys so much for listening, Dylan. Thank you for joining. And remember, gaming is a hobby. It's something that we do for fun. So while you're playing, whatever you're playing, just remember, be kind to your fellow gamers. Thanks. Have a good night.